Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden meeting the Japanese Prime Minister today as the two work to deter threats from China. This as an investigation looks into Biden's handling of classified papers. And Biden says he's fully cooperating with the investigation. Meanwhile, Democrats and Republicans offer various opinions on how it should all play out. We explore the differences. More Twitter files released. The latest installment alleges some lawmakers made up part of the so-called Russiagate allegations. And a win for religious schools. A judge this week decided to keep a Title IX exemption in place, which allows the schools to make their own decisions about LGBT clubs. We'll bring you the, the latest on the classified documents found in President Biden's garage and former office in just a moment. But first, the aftermath of the severe storms and tornadoes that whipped through the south yesterday, killing at least nine people and cutting power for thousands. Recovery and search efforts continued today. Officials say at least seven people were killed in Alabama, with two others killed in Georgia, including a five-year-old boy. About 40,000 homes and businesses were still in the dark this morning across Georgia and Alabama, according to tracking site poweroutage.us. The governor of Alabama has declared a state of emergency in six counties, while Georgia's governor has declared a statewide emergency. And looking to the international stage, President Biden today spoke to Japan's leader to strengthen the two countries' alliance amid growing threats from China. This as the controversy continues over Biden's handling of classified documents. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. President Biden meeting with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida at the White House on Friday. The two vow a strong alliance based on values. These shared democratic values are the source of our strength, source of our alliance. An important backdrop for the meeting is threats from China. Just weeks ago, Japan announced an unprecedented military buildup, citing concerns over Chinese actions in the Indo-Pacific. And Japan and the United States are currently facing the most challenging and complex security environment in recent history. The U.S. and Japan are set to expand their military cooperation, including by improving Japan's missile strike abilities and better preparing the U.S. Marine units in Japan for potential combat. Biden pledges the U.S.'s full commitment. The United States is fully, thoroughly, completely committed to the alliance and, more importantly, to Japan's defense. But while Biden was all smiles in front of cameras, he's facing a burgeoning controversy of his own. As the DOJ appoints a special counsel to investigate his handling of classified papers, the White House on Friday again saying, We are going to continue to, continue to fully co cooperate. We have been. But as to what Biden said on Thursday, Look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. The White House doesn't know when that's going to come. When can people expect to hear from you? Uh, don't have, again, that's a, that is, that is something that I can't, I don't have a, a magic wand here. I don't know when that's going to happen. And as usual, Biden's heading back this weekend to his home in Wilmington, Delaware. And that's where the second batch of classified documents was found. Reporting from the White House, Iris Howe, NTD News. 
And the GOP is wasting no time to investigate President Biden's handling of the classified documents. It's the first order of business for the House Judiciary Committee. That's according to Chairman Jim Jordan, who's also preparing investigations into other government agencies over what he calls the weaponization of the federal government. NTD's Melina Weiskopf has more. The GOP-led Judiciary Committee hitting the ground running. Chairman Jim Jordan probing the Attorney General's newly created special counsel investigating Biden's handling of those classified documents. Chairman Jordan sending a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland today probing further on this issue, asking questions such as when the DOJ first became aware of the existence of those documents and any conversations that the DOJ or FBI or White House may have had on this issue. Now, this will be the very first investigation that the Judiciary Committee is launching, and it comes just days after the House voted, of course, along party lines to create that select subcommittee that's under the Judiciary Committee on the weaponization of the federal government, where they will be probing further agencies like the DOJ and the FBI. Here's Jordan laying out the top priorities for these investigations. The Department of Justice treats parents as terrorists, moms and dads who are simply showing up at a school board meeting when the FBI pays Twitter $3 million, not one, not two, $3 million to censor American citizens. It's not a ploy when the Department of Homeland Security tries to set up a disinformation governance board. And Jordan says there's been multiple whistleblowers come forth with concerns in these areas. Democrats, however, argue that this committee is hyper-partisan and meant to shield Republicans from ongoing federal investigations into the January 6th Capitol breach. Because we have members in this chamber who themselves may be subjects of investigation. Upon an agenda that many of my Republican colleagues have said is anchored in ultimately wanting to defund the FBI. And Democrats do plan to seat members on this 13-member committee, even though they don't agree with it. Congressman Pete Aguilar, who's the Democrat caucus chairman, told us earlier this week that they do plan to have members on every committee that's created by the Republican leadership to have representation. Democrats, of course, argue that the types of investigations that will be taking place here are simply conspiracy theories. While, while Republicans, of course, would push back, saying that these investigations are substantive and are aimed at preventing the federal government from trampling on the constitutional rights of Americans. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. As the House gears up its investigations, speculation is swirling about the classified documents found in President Biden's possession that date back to when he was vice president. Democrats and Republicans disagree on how this compares with the documents seized from former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Entities Arlene Richards explores those comparisons. The recent revelation that President Biden has been keeping classified documents among his personal belongings was immediately compared to reports of documents with classified markings seized from former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Something that everyone can agree on is that neither president should have had classified documents in his possession. And so presumably both situations should be treated the same under the law. But the comparisons have largely cut across party lines. Democrats say the difference is that Biden is cooperating fully with the DOJ and the National Archives, but they say Trump didn't. When the president's lawyers realized that the, the documents existed, that they were there, they reached out to the archives, they reached out to the Department of Justice, rightfully so, may I add. 
Democrats also say Trump's lawyer lied about whether there were more classified documents, which has led to an accusation that Trump obstructed justice. The FBI is now conducting a criminal probe. Attorney Jonathan Turley told Fox News both presidents did the same thing. But at the end of the day, the same underlying crime exists, even if there are differences in aspects of the case. There hasn't been an allegation that uh, there were false statements made or obstruction. We don't know a lot of the facts. We don't know if this is the full extent of these documents. The president's answers also are rather baffling. Biden said he was surprised to hear about the documents, but Turley said... Someone has to request it, usually the vice president or president. It was in his office, his working office. We also know that he was working on a book that talked about Ukraine, Iran, some of the countries that were mentioned uh, as the subject of these documents. Republicans argue that a vice president doesn't have the power to declassify documents. But Trump's former senior counsel, Jenna Ellis, told NTD's newsmakers that's not necessarily the legal situation. The president does uh, delegate some of his authority under agency capacity to other members of the executive branch, including the vice president. Republicans point out another difference. He wasn't president. He was vice president. He held these in different locations right out in the open. Biden claimed that documents stored in his garage were as safe as his Corvette. Turley said that doesn't pass the criminal code. A former top aide in the Russia election interference probe said it's not a crime to accidentally take and retain government docs. Biden and the DOJ have said that this is being handled by the book. Arlene Richards, NTD News. And earlier today, I spoke with Lee Smith for his analysis. Smith wrote the book The Plot Against the President and is host of the show Over the Target on Epic TV. We start with recent allegations that these documents could have been planted as a way to undermine Biden. Lee Smith, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very kindly for inviting me, Steph. Now, some say the revelation of classified documents in Biden's personal possession may be a way to thwart any chances of the president running again. How do you see it? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, the, the, the way that I, it, I, I don't think it's an internal Democratic National Committee coup. I think rather it's a cover-up. I mean, first of all, the, the, the media aligned with the party um, if you watch MSNBC, CNN, you see that everyone on there is very, very supportive of Biden. They're all comparing it to how bad Trump is. So uh, there's no one who's coming out for there's no one who's coming out against Biden. And this is not the way that Democrats would. It's not an issue the Democrats would use, right? Classified information doesn't matter to them, and that's why, you know, that's why there was no problem with Hillary Clinton's candidacy in 2016. They would use another instrument to bring down Joe Biden if they were trying to bring down Joe Biden, and I don't believe they are. The DOJ is investigating Trump for something that Biden may also have done. So what do you think of the way the department is handling Biden's case? Oh, I, I, I the special counsel who was appointed, um, Robert Herr, I mean, this is, this is an aspect of the cover-up. I mean, the man is presumably identifies as a Republican, but he's an anti-Trump Republican, right? He was a protege of Rod Rosenstein. Rod Rosenstein was uh, the deputy attorney general who said he was going to, um, who said he was willing to wear a wire to spy on Trump. That's what an internal coup looks like. When the deputy attorney general says, I'm going, I'll wear a wire to spy on the president of the United States. 
What's happening with Biden does not look like an internal coup. When they appoint a guy who is a, who who is against Trump um, and sides with the establishment, deep state, however we want to put it, that's moving toward a cover-up. And this is what um, this is what my sources on Capitol Hill um, have, have have been telling me, and I think they're 100% correct. And the Justice Department found out about these documents about a week before the midterms, but we're only just learning about it now. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I think it's not just about the elections. I, I think it's, I, I, I assume it's something much more serious because, you know, they, they, they've been, they've been um, holding on to this. It's not like it just came out after the election, right? They said they found the documents November 2nd, and look, that story is in itself improbable, right? Because look at what you have to believe about the story. You have to believe about the story either every other time that Joe Biden's belongings moved, right, the lawyers missed it. Or you have to believe that this time is the time that lawyers went through his belongings, and normally it was staffers who didn't know what classified, uh, what classifications on documents looked like. So the, 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 the story is highly improbable. And remember, these documents have been moved at least twice once out of the White House and to an interim space, and then a second time to the Penn-Biden Center, because remember, Penn-Biden Center did not open up till 2018. So between January 2017 and 2018, these documents were somewhere else. We have no insight yet as to where they are, So, but the, the, they've, they've been moved twice, and it appears this was in preparation to move them a third time. So again, the idea that the lawyers, that Biden's lawyers somehow just noticed this, that, that doesn't make sense. There's a CNN piece today saying, uh, <laughs> talking about, again, it's more the press cover-up. The CNN piece is going on about, oh, it was very chaotic as Joe Biden was leaving the White House in January 2017. They never knew who was, what was going into the boxes and the belongings. It was just chaotic. And so it's just meant to cover up for what's going on with Joe Biden. So you're telling me that the aides... The aides at that time packed it up, but now they've got the professionals in there. And since when do lawyers go through belongings? Not, the story doesn't make sense, right? People are right. The people who are saying they wonder if it's a coup, they're not right that it's a coup, but they are right to say that the story does not make sense the way it's being told. And that's why I believe there is something um, there. there whatever is in these documents or whatever the backstory behind it is likely to be extremely damaging. And that's why it's a cover-up, not a coup. All right. Thanks so much, Lee Smith, author of The Plot Against the President. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Steph. And turning now to Trump. The case against the former president's real estate company appears to have reached an end. Today, a New York judge ordered the company to pay a $1.6 million fine. That's the maximum possible under state law. And on Tuesday, the judge sentenced the company's former chief financial officer to five months in jail. He'll be serving his time at New York's infamous Rikers Island Jail. The sentences come after Trump's company was convicted of scheming to defraud tax authorities. Trump has called the investigations into his business dealings part of an ongoing witch hunt. And more about Trump. Democrats allegedly pushed a false Russiagate narrative, even though they were told it wasn't true. That's according to the latest installment of the so-called Twitter files. Journalist Matt Taibbi released more Twitter files on Thursday. 
He alleges that prominent Democrats knowingly pushed a false Russiagate-related narrative about Russian bots during the Trump-Russia investigation. That's despite their being told by Twitter executives that it wasn't true. Taibbi tweeted, quote, At a crucial moment in a years-long furor, Democrats denounced a report about flaws in the Trump-Russia investigation, saying it was boosted by Russian bots and trolls. And emails appear to show that. Twitter officials were aghast, finding no evidence of Russian influence. Democrats' Russia allegations allegedly started after some Republicans demanded they release a memo, starting a hashtag which was called Release the Memo. It was later released and showed how the FBI under the Obama administration used unverified opposition research to obtain a warrant to spy on one of Trump's campaign volunteers. It was part of an investigation into alleged Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. Days after the hashtag was started, some Democrats demanded social media companies investigate allegations of Russian bots and trolls surrounding the Release the Memo online campaign. Various legacy media outlets did the same, claiming Russian bots and trolls were behind the effort. Taibbi says NBC, Political, AP, Times, Business Insider, and other media outlets who played up the Russian bot story, even Rolling Stone, all declined to comment for this story. Also, Yoel Roth, who was Twitter's trust and safety chief at the time, reportedly told colleagues, I just reviewed the accounts that posted the first 50 tweets with hashtag release the memo, and none of them showed any signs of affiliation to Russia. Taibbi concluded, alleging, quote, the Russiagate scandal was built on the craven dishonesty of politicians and reporters who for years ignored the absence of data to fictional scare headlines. A federal judge this week decided in favor of religious schools adhering to their beliefs. A lawsuit started by LGBT students claimed they were being discriminated against. A federal judge at a court in Oregon on Thursday said that religious schools can follow their beliefs and still receive federal funding. In March of 2021, 40 LGBT students brought a lawsuit against the Department of Education. The judge who made the decision wrote that students made various allegations, from academic exclusion and denial of student housing, to coerced conversion therapy, to prohibition from forming LGBTQ support groups on campus. The students called for a provision named Title IX to be expanded. Title IX bars discrimination based on sex, including sexual orientation and gender identity. But it has an exemption allowing religious schools to make certain decisions based on their religious beliefs. However, the judge dismissed the lawsuit in Thursday's decision, effectively keeping Title IX in place as it is, which means the religious schools will continue to receive federal funding. Ryan Helfenbein is the VP of University Communications at Liberty University, a Christian school in Virginia. In an interview with NTD, he quoted one of the lawyers in the case who said that changing Title IX would ultimately hurt students the most. Ultimately, this is about punishing students. If, pun if students have uh, some kind of religious-held conviction or belief, uh, they should not ultimately be hindered from going to a religious school uh, that identifies with those beliefs. The judge said one of the reasons for dismissing the case is that Congress allowed the Title IX exemption for institutions that can prove that they operate under religious tenets. Helfenbein added that all schools have guidelines which clearly lay out their takes and values on things, such as the issue of sexual topics on campus. They have been consistent in upholding these values for decades. I think that's one of the things is showing that there is a there are receipts, there is a, there is a long-held belief and that, that, that these schools have been consistent with those beliefs. 
An attorney involved in the case said it's in the common interest to keep allowing religious schools to practice their faith. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, Moscow claims its forces have captured a fiercely contested town in eastern Ukraine, which Kyiv denies. And in NBA news, a bounty has been offered by a foreign government for the capture of former player-turned-activist Ennis Freedom. NTD's Dave Martin has the story. That and more coming up. Russia said today its forces have taken control of the town of Solodar in eastern Ukraine. Kyiv disputes this, saying its troops are still fighting. If confirmed, Russia's capture of the town would be seen as a trophy win for Moscow, following major setbacks in the battlefield. Russia is claiming to have captured a fiercely contested salt mining town in eastern Ukraine. The taking of Solodar would mark a rare victory for the Kremlin, after a series of setbacks in its war in Ukraine. On the evening of January 12th, the liberation of Solidar was completed. The town is important for continuing advance on the Donetsk axis. Taking full control of Solidar enables Russia to cut off the Ukrainian forces' supplies in Bakhmut. Moscow has painted the battles for the town and nearby Bakhmut as key to capturing the eastern region of the Donbass. Since the beginning of its invasion, Moscow has prioritized taking full control of this area. This footage released by Ukraine's state border guard is said to show fighting in Bakhmut. Ukrainian authorities contest Russia's claim to the town's capture. A spokesman for the Ukrainian army in the east said on Friday there are still Ukrainian units in Solidar. There's been repeated conflicting reports previously over who controls the town, where a bloody battle has raged for months. Western governments and media outlets could not confirm either side's claim. Without mentioning Solidar, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky gave an optimistic address to Lithuanian lawmakers. Together we are heading towards victory, towards final victory over that empire. Russia would not be able to dictate anything to the peoples of Europe any longer when we finish this war with the aggressor's decisive defeat. The day before, Zelensky said Ukrainian forces are holding their positions and inflicting significant losses on Russian troops. Moscow accredited the town's capture to Russian troops and aviation, while later acknowledging the role of the Wagner mercenary group. Here, footage released by Wagner allegedly shows its men in Solidar. The group has issued a premature claim earlier this week that the town had already fallen and said the fighting there was exclusively being waged by his men. Wagner's founder has harshly criticized the failings of the regular army. Kiev and the West have played down Solidar's significance, saying Moscow will sacrifice significant losses in a pointless fight for a bombed-out wasteland. They say it's unlikely to affect the wider war. Ukraine said on Thursday more than 500 civilians, including 15 children, were trapped inside the town. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Former NBA player turned human rights activist Enes Freedom has been labeled a wanted terrorist in his home country of Turkey. 
The government has placed a bounty of roughly $500,000 for his capture. Freedom has been outspoken about human rights abuses both in Turkey and in around the world. The Turkish Interior Ministry website describes Freedom as a member of a terrorist organization. It's a vague charge that some say has been misused numerous times to target people who criticize the Turkish government. Freedom told the Turkish Minute that in addition to him, there are many innocent journalists, academics, athletes, activists, and educators on the list. The 6'11 Freedom played in the NBA for 11 seasons before he was traded and subsequently released in February of 2022 in a move many saw as political. Just months prior to his release, Freedom was decked out in shoes on the court with messages like, Free Tibet, Free China, and Free the Uyghurs. He has also called out the Chinese Communist Party for their live organ harvesting of Falun Gong practitioners. His team's games were subsequently no longer shown in China. And in NFL news, Minnesota receiver Justin Jefferson and Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey were unanimous picks to the AP's All-Pro team, which was announced today. Meanwhile, Jets star Sauce Gardner became the first rookie cornerback selection in more than four decades. The Chiefs and 49ers led the way with four first-team selections each. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has nine games planned, including the defending champion Golden State Warriors, who really struggled on the road, playing at San Antonio. And finally, for you hockey fans, the NHL has a triple header scheduled, featuring leading scorer Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, playing at San Jose. And that's it for your sports news. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.